I was wondering where the baptistry was. I'm glad I'm not one of those guys that move around when he preaches. You know. <laughs> Let's turn to Luke 17. Before we actually begin, um, we'll adjust the microphone. I'd like to read Psalm 103. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And in 1 Corinthians 6.20 it says, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There's going to be a baptism soon, as was announced, um, and that child is going to be testifying of her commitment to Jesus Christ through being baptized. It's a, a demonstration of what's gone on inside her heart already. Everyone is bought with that price. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, <clears throat> he paid for everybody's sin. Now, not everyone is going to get the benefit of that because the individual needs to recognize that they needed that payment for sin. They don't have any trouble in the jail usually convincing people that they, there's a payment to be made for sin because they're in there paying their debt to society. So they get the idea of doing something wrong creates a debt. Well, the human race has a debt against almighty, holy, pure, righteous God that we cannot pay because it takes holiness and righteousness and purity to be able to pay for sin. We don't have it. The best we can do, the Bible describes as filthy rags. So we are destined for condemnation apart from getting the benefit of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Everybody in this room, everybody in the world is really twice owned by God. Owned first by right of creation. Bible says it's God who opens the wombs. There's not one of us that was conceived or born apart from the grace of God. It was his will that we were born. And then on top of that, we're owned by right of redemption because Jesus Christ went to that cross and he paid for all of the sin of mankind. But we don't get the benefit of it and if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't bow before him, it's forgiveness for our sin. Let him turn us, repent, and follow him, acknowledge him, worship him. We heard this morning, an earlier meeting there, that it's by the word of his power that everything's held together. We can't take another breath apart from his grace. A lot of people don't think about that. They say, well, I can take a breath anytime I want. That's not true. 
It's absolutely by God's grace. The reason your heart is going to take its next beat is by God's grace. If you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's like a double measure of grace. He's keeping you alive so that you can do that very thing. I saw a gospel tract once. Um, it was kind of interesting. You've probably all seen it. It's been around for a long time. On the cover it says, uh, what to do to go to hell. It's kind of catchy. And of course, a lot of people don't know anything about the Bible. They're going to pick that one up because they don't want to know what to do to go to hell. So everybody wants to tell them what to do to go to heaven. This one tells them what to do to go to hell. We open it up and there's nothing inside. It's just blank. Then um, there's some explanation on the back. But that's the truth of it. John 3, 16 through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, all you have to do is nothing to be condemned, because you're rejecting God's only plan for salvation, for your salvation. There is a place called the Lake of Fire, God designed that for the devil and his demons. But any person who does not turn to the Lord Jesus Christ will wind up there too. And the Bible says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Now if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you're taking offense that oh, you're trying to scare me, absolutely I'm trying to scare you. Um, if there were some wild animal outside, I'd warn you about it. You're just trying to scare me. You know, well, yeah, I am. I'm trying to scare you enough so you won't go out there and be attacked. Well, hopefully, it's godly fear that enters your heart. And you'll bow before the Lord Jesus Christ just in your heart and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus paid for my sin when he died on that cross. Please forgive me. And by faith, I now receive you as my Lord and Savior. You get adopted into God's family. There's a lot, uh, you may, Christians in here say, hey, wait a minute, Paul, you didn't say anything about repentance. Well, I'm quite convinced we can't repent until we've submitted to the Lord. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can change our lives. Repent is turning away from one way to another. Repentance is certainly part of the package. You've got to be willing to repent. And the power of God does that for us. Well, this baptism is going to take place this child is going to declare through baptism that she's not her own that she was bought with a price and uh, 
That's a glorious, wonderful thing. So I look forward to, to get, being one of the witnesses to that. Luke 17. Uh, the disciples didn't get much right. They tended to be wrong most of the time. Wrong side of the debates, wrong side of attitudes. Um, they had a lot of problems. Uh, but they asked a question or made a request, really, that was right. Because they, they well, I'll, I'll just read the passage. We'll start at verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will, not, but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper? And gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk. And afterward you will eat and drink. Does he think that servant, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but if I had been in anyone's presence, or particularly the Lord's, and asked him to increase my faith, I'm not sure I would have expected that message. <laughs> uh, if I do everything he commands, I should refer to myself as an unprofitable servant because I've only done my duty to do all that Jesus commands equals doing my duty. Nothing extra, didn't bring a profit, nothing additional into the equation. I just did my duty. Uh, that resonates with me. I've been praying for some time that God would help me rise to the level of being an unprofitable servant. Uh, there's a huge gap between who I am and where I am in my growth in Christ and doing all that he commanded. I don't know if I shared this in any time past, but I uh, at one point saw a uh, kind of a study course that this, play, this ministry would send an email to me each day with the commands of Christ. And I figured I can go for a week. There shouldn't be any problem. He did not have that many commands, right? Well, 300 and I think it was 59 emails later, I found out I was wrong. He commanded a few more things than I thought he had. Um, very interesting, very challenging, and certainly brings into focus this whole idea of whether I have attained the level of being an unprofitable servant. Our God is sovereign. Our God is over all. He's perfect in all of his ways. And he would desire that we go in that direction, that we walk with him, 
that we challenge every thought that's apart from what his word reveals as the right way to think and challenge every action that we take that the Bible will show us is either right or wrong. And that that's the standard by which our lives need to be carried out. This all belongs to him. And we're allowed to function in life by his grace. We owe him. We need to be grateful and thankful and our hearts filled with praise. Just talked to a young man just a few minutes ago that's getting it. He's understanding. No matter what the circumstances are, you focus on Jesus Christ and live for him. You acknowledge the circumstances, but you don't dwell on them. You give the Lord what it is that you can give that he hasn't given you the power to take care of yourself um, and praise his name and serve him. That's what we're here for. Revelation 7.10 says that salvation belongs to God. That's not a stretch for anybody that's a Christian. You think, well, okay, that makes sense. But you think about how he did that. He designed it. He provided life. He's the one that knew when he, when he ordained that, that uh, man would exist, that we would fall, that we'd be sinners. So he provided a way of salvation to pay for that sin. Then his Holy Spirit and his word worked together to, I mean, the word spells out the law and shows that we're sinners and and the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin and reveals Jesus Christ. It's all him. He provides, the Bible says, by grace we're saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God or the free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And a friend of mine used to say, you know, it would take a theologian to mess that up. You know, that's pretty clear. Uh, and it's, it's all him. He provides the grace and the faith for us to receive him. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that he does. It's all his. And we ought to thank him for providing all those things. Consciously be aware that our salvation is owned by our God. Daniel 2.20 says, For wisdom and might are his. Kind of interesting. The Bible names a lot of things that God owns the title to. Uh, there's, uh, I often read uh, Oswald Chambers' devotional thing, and then there's up in the corner on the webpage, it says, uh, Wisdom from Oswald Chambers. If there's wisdom there, it's from God. Through Oswald Chambers, but it's not Oswald's wisdom. Daniel 9, 7 says, righteousness belongs to you. So if we do something right, if we're righteous in our thinking, who's that belong to? It belongs to him. It's not my righteousness, it's his. Now, it, righteousness is imputed to us, but that's his righteousness given to us. So it's his. Daniel 9.9 9 
says, to the Lord belong mercy and forgiveness. Now, we're all familiar with the fact that we should uh, grant others forgiveness, should forgive others, and certainly we can't do that if you don't have, if you're not merciful. Uh, but we often think, what a big sacrifice I'm making, that I'm forgiving, that I am granting mercy. What's well, God's forgiveness? It is God's mercy. It says it right there in Daniel 9 9, for the Lord, to the Lord belong mercy and forgiveness. I've received it, I've been the benefit, beneficiary of mercy and forgiveness. If I don't pass it along, I'm guilty of embezzlement. It's not my mercy, it's not my forgiveness, it's His. I don't have any right to withhold it. It's like saving money down at the bank, going down to draw it out, and the banker saying, oh no, I'm not going to give it to you. Oh, wait a minute, it's mine. That's well, tough. Well, but I need to pay that bill. I ask you to send it over there. <laughs> I don't like them. So they're not going to get that money. We're doing exactly the same thing. We receive God's forgiveness. We receive the, the benefit of his mercy and then we don't pass it along. And we have ample opportunity to pass it along. I think everybody in here uh, has had opportunity to need to show mercy and forgive another. That's a tough sell in the jail. They like to be forgiven, but very often they don't feel like forgiving. And sometimes that's understandable considering that so many of them have been victims themselves of some horrendous things. But no matter what the thing is, Jesus Christ already paid the price for it. That sin that was committed against me or against you got paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross. And if I do not forgive, then... Not only am I sinning before the God who forgave me, but I'm chained to that sin for as long as I refuse to forgive. And I'm chained to that one who perpetrated that sin against me for as long as I fail to forgive. It's why it's so troubling. It's why we get so upset over things that we should have forgiven for. Uh, the whole message we could do more, more than one on forgiveness because there's a lot of things forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is certainly not saying whatever was wrong is okay. A wrong done is wrong. But I've got to forgive from the heart and recognize that person did wrong because of their distance from Jesus Christ. And so I ought to have compassion for that person who wronged me, praying that they would get close to the Lord, either receive Christ as Lord and Savior if they don't know him, or if they're a Christian and they're still going around doing that kind of thing, 
to repent of their sin and go in, in the power of the Lord and, and go back to him or get closer to him and dedicate their life to getting close to him so they don't go around perpetrating those kind of wrongs against others. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean being in a close relationship with the person. In some cases, it's not safe. You don't have to be in a close relationship with the person, but you've got to forgive them. God in Christ showed us mercy and he forgave us. It is essential that we forgive others if we don't want to be tied to that heartache and that pain that will not leave us if we don't forgive. Psalm 95.5 says the sea is his. Uh, that's kind of fun because just I went into my to get a haircut about a week ago and the barber was concerned that I might be bored. We don't have a common language so he just assumes things. And he went and got a magazine. He gave it to me. It was Scientific American. I'm no scientist. But it didn't take long to figure out that that isn't a Christian publication. Uh, they say a lot of things from the evolution side of things. And there was a big article in there about these, uh, what did they call it? I can't remember. Some like highways in the sea. Uh, and uh, that's been known for some time that there are currents in the sea, and the Bible said that. <laughs> it talks about that sort of thing already. It belongs to God. He set it up for a reason, and they were absolutely mystified that the uh, uh, British petroleum oil catastrophe in the Gulf out where the oil went, and then they began investigating, found out there were organisms there that ate the oil, and um, they couldn't figure out why with the surface currents the way they were, the it didn't get around to the east coast of Florida, and they began investigating that, discovered that there was a, a virtual wall of water that flows along there, and whatever's coming from the Gulf can't get around the end of Florida. It gets turned back the other way, so they're still looking for the oil. They think it's out there somewhere. Uh, but they're absolutely amazed that, that, that these things existed in the sea. Well, the sea belongs to God. He does anything he wants. He designed it in a spectacular way. And if science would just approach it from that direction, let's figure out how God did this, he'd probably give them a whole lot more insight than they have, have had now. And I'm not diminishing the good research that's been done. I'm amazed at what they've discovered in some cases. Deuteronomy 32.35 says, Vengeance is mine and retribution. This kind of goes hand in hand with the mercy and forgiveness thing. Now, it's not the right way to think for me to say, well, I'll forgive because God's going to get them for that. He may or may not. He knows what needs, who needs to be got and who doesn't and when that needs to take place. God is just and I can trust him for that. And if I've been wounded by another person, the 
best thing to have happen is that person to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and become the person God designed them to be, not to suffer because they made me suffer. What if God viewed us like that? What if Jesus Christ said, you made me suffer, wait till I get a hold of you? We wouldn't like that at all. Vengeance is mine, God says, and retribution. I heard a man say, only half in jest. It's a lot easier to forgive once you get even. Um, it's really not. It's not true. I've desired vengeance. I've desired retribution for what I care about. I can't see things from God's perspective. I've got to leave that to him. It belongs to him. I don't have the right to use it. He never gave me the right to use it. Have you ever been in a situation that could have easily wound up uh, with you dying? Uh, I have, more than one occasion. Sometimes like even a traffic situation and other things. Well, you didn't die, you're here. Uh, you know why? Well, the Bible says <laughs> in Psalm 68, 20, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. You got out of it because God ordained that you'd get out of it. He's the one that provided that escape from death. And it's, you know, it's this whole business of death. This last week, it was a lot of death going on among inmate families that we got involved with. Um, for the believer or for a child, uh, it's graduation. Surely and truly. We miss the person. And it's alright to miss the person. God invented grieving. He grieves. You think he didn't grieve when he had to put our sin on Christ? Jesus grieved while he was here. We're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Nothing wrong with grieving under God's ways knowing that there's ultimate uh, provision by our Lord to minister to us and to others who are suffering a loss, a separation. Why do people that have been separated for a while have such joy when they see one another again? They didn't like the separation. They like seeing one another again. Well, we don't like the separation when a loved one departs this life we don't know how long it's going to be before we get to see him again. But we will, if they're in Christ, see him again. It's going to be this huge, wonderful reunion one day when we all get to the other side. So whether it be when Christ comes, calls us all home, or by personal invitation, uh, it's a separation from this life only one of the reasons it's precious in his sight I think I have some recordings by a man by the name of Dave Reed Dr. Dave Reed Dr. Dave from Emmaus years ago um, he went home to be with the Lord and he taught hermeneutics as well as some other things I'm sure at Emmaus 
And he is stressed that there was but one interpretation of any verse or passage in God's word. One right interpretation. That there might be many applications, but there's one right interpretation. And that the whole idea of hermeneutics was to draw out, through exegesis, draw out the true meaning of that passage. And, of course, we need the Holy Spirit to do that. And to have the Holy Spirit, we need Christ in our hearts. Uh, but it's interesting that if we have even the possibility of knowing that, and we do. Much of the Bible, as he taught, is quite easy to understand, and it's, the interpretation is quite plain. He's talking more about the, the difficult passages. Uh, but Genesis 40, verse 8 says, Interpretations belong to the God, to God. And now he that was specifically talking about an interpretation of a dream, but interpretation of his word surely uh, belongs to him too. Uh, the uh, Psalm 119:89 says, "Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven." It's His word. He, he's the one that knows the truth of it. And if we want to know the truth of it, we should humble ourselves before Him, receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. Pray that God would open his word to us so that we can glorify him through our lives and be used of him, and he'll do that. Uh, he always says yes to that prayer. So it's right um, to go to his word. It's essential to recognize he's the one that teaches us when we go to God's word. We talked about science and how everything belongs to God and, and if they'd only look at it that way they'd learn so much uh, verse uh, Proverbs 6 6 says go to the ant you sluggard consider her ways and be wise I had a report uh, I read a report that is uh, several years ago now where some research guy got a quarter of a million dollars of our tax money to study ants and one of his primary discoveries that most of them were female. Interesting. Do you know ants were female? I mean, they work hard. That makes sense. But uh, Proverbs 6.6 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways. Not his ways. Quarter of a million dollars. Could have got a Bible free from the Gideons. To rise to the level of an unprofitable servant, I need to know the word of God very well. I need to read it. I need to study it. I need to meditate on it. I need to ask God to, to apply it to my life. I need to pay attention to the Spirit's promptings. So I'll be quiet when I'm supposed to be quiet. Speak only what I should speak. I need to know that the Lord, he is God, and it is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture, and that I was bought with a price. Therefore, I am to glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which are God's. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord, our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. 
That's a little bit scary when you think of trying to do all the words of the law until you remember that Romans 13.10 says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love from God's perspective, not our definition, but his. Um, we're about to witness a baptism, a public testimony, that this child has bowed before her Savior and is now in training to discover how close to becoming an unprofitable servant she'll become in this life. It's a wonderful thing because... Uh, I heard a psychologist years ago we heard said you should have a life goal that you cannot fulfill in life so that it's a motivation right through till you leave this life. And certainly becoming an unprofitable servant is a worthy life goal because it will definitely not be accomplished this side of facing the Lord. I like that verse in Deuteronomy because it said but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Just praise God for him, for his word, for salvation that belongs to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you. Wisdom belongs to you, and you've been sharing it so readily with the likes of us. We praise your holy name, and we thank you for your word that you've given us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that will open your word to our understanding. We especially thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived as a man allowed himself to be nailed to that cross and then paid for our sin with his own shed blood. We praise your holy name that you accepted that sacrifice as payment for our sin and so we're redeemed back to you. What a great God. You're holy and high and lifted up, yet your personal care about each one of us. So we thank you and we praise you for your word, for this time we've had together, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and for this child who's following you through baptism to a life lived for you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.